Hello. This is uh, Will Finn. I was the supervising animator on Iago the Parrot. And uh, I'm Eric Goldberg. I was the supervising animator on The Genie. And my name is Glenn Keane, and I was supervising animator on the character of Aladdin. Very good, Glenn. <laughs> and this is Andreas Deja. I supervise the animation of Jafar. And welcome, everybody, to the animator's audio commentary for Aladdin. Who's that Alan Menken guy? He hasn't done a lot of stuff, has he? <laughs> he's an up-and-coming young uh, composer. I hear he's talented. Talented guy. Yeah. Super talented. Donnerst. This is a great beginning for the picture. Yeah. I, yeah. No matter how many times I watched it, I always, I always felt like it was tempting me to really be curious as to what this story was going to tell me. Yeah. It's that once-upon-a-time quality draws you in. John Musker and Ron Clements, the directors, uh, seem to have a great sense of being able to uh, tempt the audience to enter the particular world. I remember that uh, Little Mermaid had the same feeling as uh, we were traveling underwater and eventually finding Ariel, taking you in. Taking you on a great adventure. Hang on, you're not going to be able to believe what you see. <laughs> The uh, narrator here, who is also the voice of Robin Williams, was animated by Duncan Marchbanks. Well, he was originally supposed to be the genie at the end, too, right? That's right, but then that got deep-sixed at a preview because everyone thought the movie was over before we revealed that, so we figured, okay, the movie's over. Didn't need it. Yes, <laughs> Combination hookah and coffee maker. Also makes Julian fries. Will that break? The way they recorded the uh, narrator spiel as he's selling things here is to get Robin Williams in the studio with a box full of junk with a cover on it. And they pulled the cover off and opened the mic and let Robin fly. <laughs> and it was stuff from the thrift store down the street, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. That's great. That's <laughs> a pretty gag. This really sets the tone, too, that it's going to be a comedy and an irreverent take on this tale and not necessarily the classic Arabian Nights. A young man who liked this lamp was more than what he seemed. A diamond in the rough. It tells the audience it's okay to laugh, which I think is actually quite right. Yeah, and it gets, gets Robin's voice in the picture early on, too, which is important because... He doesn't arrive until, what, about 30 minutes into it? Yeah. And, and really helps him set the tone for the movie. You are late. T. Dan Hofstede did this thief. T. Dan's a great caricaturist, and he did Kazim. Fun animator, too. And I remember this was the, some of the first uh, Jafar animation yeah. that we did. Yeah. This was the first sequence, yeah, we worked on together, I remember. Yeah, I was trying to give his hands sort of a spider look, very skinny and eerie. It's a nice contrast to each of the character designs. Yeah. From Jafar, that big, tall, triangular shape, to Iago, a little round. Well, I didn't realize it until afterwards, but, but Eric told me that, that sort of the idea was to make a Yago look like a clay pot. Yeah, he was like a clay pot or a Turkish bottle or, you know. When I was adapting the design, I, I kept on wondering, why does he have a pot belly? 
Gilbert isn't fat. And, uh, <laughs> the, you know, parrots aren't fat. But uh, Eric told me, oh, it's because he's uh, he's supposed to be kind of like a inverted minaret. Cave of Wonders. Bye. The fun thing always was with those two characters, to put them together was very easy because Jafar had these broad shoulders, you know, and Iago could pace up and down and do his thing, and it worked very fairly well. And also the the character of a parrot has, his legs are kind of like uh, shock absorbers, so if you were moving the shoulders up and down, I would just animate the head, and then when you were finished, I'd have his lower body just ride wherever the shoulders were. Some nice special effects on it. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. It is, it is I, Gazim, the humble thief. Just a word about the tiger's head uh, entrance to the cave here. Uh, that was uh, one of the earliest computer-generated pieces at Disney's uh, done by Steve Goldberg. And in fact, probably the first piece of computer-animated lip-sync that the studio did. Uh, I did very rough animation, which served as a guide for Steve. Uh, and, you know, it was quite a challenge to get something that massive and huge to actually have lip sync that was convincing, you know, and, and still make it look like it was part of the background. And I thought Steve did a great job. <coughs> I can't believe it. I just don't believe it. We're never gonna get a hold of that stupid lamp. Just forget it. Look at this. Look at this. I'm so ticked off that I'm molting. This was fun stuff. These are some of the earliest scenes we did. This was the first scene I did. I did this scene, and that sold them on the voice. But then they kept changing Jafar's line at the end, remember? Yeah. So the scene was actually on our desks for about six months, and got a chance to keep reworking it till really got the design working. I was happy with that scene. Yes. Only one may enter. I must find this one, this diamond in the rough. Stop! This whole song, uh, One Jump Ahead, was um, the, the lyrics of Tim Rice were really uh, genius. I mean, the way he threw so much material packed into this short song and all of the scenes. I mean, we were racing full speed, 100 miles an hour animating. Each scene was, I don't know, typically it seemed like there was maybe about uh, I don't know, two feet long each scene. A lot of this is uh, Tony DeRosa's animation. Originally, Aladdin's song uh, at the beginning here was Proud of Your Boy, uh, which Aladdin sung uh, to uh, kind of uh, voice his uh, desire to make his mother proud of him, even though he was kind of a street urchin uh, and looked like he was never going to amount to anything. And when the movie got changed, uh, to a slightly more comic version uh, after the first screening, which uh, everyone refers to as Black Friday. Uh, that song got changed as well. I do remember also the purpose for the song was, you know, instead of the previous Proud of Your Boy, which he used to sing, this was to establish, first of all, that Aladdin could be comic and physical and pretty zippy looking, you know, tonally, which fit more with the rest of the movie, um, you know, before the, the genie firecracker gets let off 20 minutes in. And then 
and it works great. You know, it's really fun to see the choreography and, and the strong poses and all of this animation. It's also great to see good-looking miscellaneous characters. <laughs> this was the first uh, Disney movie in a long time to have that. And again, because there was so much strength in the design um, that uh, we really had a great-looking cast of characters, yeah. even guys like him. <laughs> even the sheep had Hirschfeldian curly cues on them. I don't know if anyone noticed. But. You only had so much time to do it, so the poses had to be really clear and simple. It was, it was really a return back to a Tex Avery yeah. kind of a feel. But, it, but it's all clear and all reads. You know, the timing is so well thought out that it just works so well. It was, it was a nice change coming off of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, because it was more volumetric kind of drawing, right? Yeah. And the style is so different. There was more realism in, in Beauty and the Beast. This had more caricature. Yeah. This was the movie that I think as animators that this whole generation was really dying to prove that you could make a cartoony it's feature. Tom Cito. Yes. <laughs> Tom Cito was one of my animators, great story guy, and yes, he is immortalized as crazy Hakim. <laughs> Self-animated, too. I yes, think, that's his scene. <laughs> Apu is hilarious. I remember when I saw the movie with an audience for the first time, um, people went nuts when the Abu title came up in the credits. Somebody cheered, the monkey rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just yesterday I was doing a drawing of Aladdin for somebody, and, the, and a kid said, hey, where's Abu? <laughs> he, Aladdin just wasn't done if Abu wasn't on his shoulder. Aladdin, when we started uh, on this picture, I was thinking of, of Aladdin as a guy who was the underdog, and we're really doing some designs of him as a little bit younger-looking, shorter character. Actually, and that design change came... Gosh, I don't know. We had already animated a whole, uh, I don't know, a thousand feet of, of him. And we had to go back and uh, we had to redo all of that uh, footage. We pushed the shoulders broader, wider, actually based somewhat on volleyball players that had been sketching down at uh, Manhattan Beach at the time. So Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to see an Aladdin that was more of a heroic proportions, uh, somebody that could actually, uh, I don't know, merit the love of this incredibly gorgeous princess, Jasmine. So we ended up changing the designs to him. You are a worthless street rat. You are born Aladdin's pants, the design of those, MC Hammer was really big at that time, and he had these great MC Hammer pants, which we actually made some of those, and as we we're designing the character. Uh, Aladdin is basically two triangles uh, inverted. The top triangle comes down to the waist, and the bottom triangle supports. Uh, all of the characters were uh, very simple graphic designs. Riff raff, street rat, I don't find. And we should say something about the backgrounds, too. They are just so gorgeous. To me, this was a movie that almost almost looked like one of the old Technicolor movies. You know, the, the, the blues were really rich and the reds were really bright. Give a little credit to uh, Richard Vanderwend as production designer, Kathy Altieri as head of background, and great work. Bill Perkins. Bill Perkins, art director. Yeah. <sighs> Someday, Abu, things are gonna change. We'll be rich, live in a palace, 
And here we have the Sultan. Uh, Dave Bruxma. He had uh, just done Mrs. Potts. And, uh, this wasn't that much of a stretch, really. He's our little teapot himself. <laughs> That's true. I think Dave did a great job of getting that kind of rounded style in his animation, yeah. too, in that character. I think it really works. And Mark Hen's Jasmine is beautiful. And Aaron Blaze's first, uh, some of his first animation after he did uh, some of the Beast with me, he did the Tiger and directed uh, Brother Bear. I remember reading an article where someone was complaining that Disney put all these characters into movies to sell toys. And uh, man, I remember Peter Schneider begging John Musker and Ron Clemens to take characters out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted a tiger in the movie, and, and, and they got it. It was an artistic choice. It wasn't uh, the cynical marketing choice that they got accused of. This typical Mark Hen, very subtle, believable female animation. His, his, uh, his ability to communicate with little slight moves, the tilt of the head, it's just gorgeous. It's always really natural the way the hair overlaps and the way she moves and gestures. One thing I'd like to mention is look how simple the design is, particularly on Jasmine's costume. You know, elder statesman animators used to tell me it's not how you draw it, but how you move it that defines the characters. And I think Jasmine is a terrific example of that. You don't need any more uh, detail on, on her pants than what's there, but you know that there's a person underneath and who that person is. Yeah, and this picture, too, every bit of detail, too, was somebody drawing those lines in there. And it, <laughs> I love the places where we do have design, like like Jafar's beard. Just that little <laughs> squiggle there is so, it's fun because there's such simplicity around that shape. The only thing is I always was waiting for a scene where I could take his finger and have it sort of... <laughs> twirling his uh, his beard, who looks like a corkscrew, really, and I never found that scene. It's not in the movie. It's this suit of business. Jasmine refused. This was some of Tony Bancroft's first stuff on uh, on Iago. Tony was uh, one of the crew animators, and because uh, there wasn't a lot of footage of Iago in the movie, I was able to let each um, animator basically take uh, their own sequences, and I had my own sequences. Mm. Now then, perhaps. I can divine a solution to this thorny problem. If and I should mention the voice of Jafar is Jonathan Freeman, stage actor from the East Coast, who has done a lot of Broadway shows, and was, again, absolutely perfect for the role, very smooth and oily, and, and yet had a sense of humor about him as well. One influence in the design of Jafar and even his personality a little bit, was Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. She was the one who came closest, I think, graphically in style. And she was also a villainess who, um, like Mark Davis, her animator would always say, would, would hold still and make speeches. She was very controlled in her animation. And once I decided I want to do something like that with Jafar, then looking back at Sleeping Beauty and her animation, uh, Maleficent's animation really helped me. Crack it! Bam! Whack! Calm yourself here. The two of them are a great contrast together as well because, you know, Jafar is 
is snide and underplayed. <laughs> and yeah. Iago is boiling over practically every time he's on screen. There was something through this whole picture, uh, watching this with you guys, um, how much fun it is to, to surprise each other during the, the film. I mean, watching uh, in dailies the, the scenes that would come out, and you realize how everybody's work was just so... Surprisingly, better and better and better, and it was a, it was always a challenge. You you wanted your scene to show up to to stand up next to whether it was a Iago scene or Jafar or, or a genie. I think everybody was really on on the same page with this movie. This was a movie we all wanted to make because they always said you couldn't make a cartoony feature, and they tried with Alice, and it wasn't a success. And we just thought, well. Maybe, maybe if you had the right story and the right crew, you could make a cartoony feature, and we did. I mean, it was a delight. I mean, There's this feeling of, of fun when you, you have a design that's based on curves and fluid movements. And, and when we all came off of Beauty and the Beast, and I'd been working on the Beast, and it was a lot more sculpted, classic kind of drawing. Uh, jumping into this was was um, was fun. I guess the fun is just the best word for it. And, and the, you feel it when you watch the film. There's some of Nick Raimondi's animation in this guy. Yeah, he did all the characters in the sequence, all the secondary characters. Looks did a great like job. Too. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> does actually. <laughs> That's the first scene of Aladdin right there, where he goes. Is it really? Yeah, first one drew. And I think we ended up redrawing it 10 different times as the design kept changing. But isn't the first scene always the hardest? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The first Jafar yeah. scene had also seven takes or something like that. Yeah. Chris Wall did this, animated this big, heavy guy. I always like Chris's animation, so it's a lot of fun to watch. What I'm surprised at is how huge his hands are next to <laughs> Jasmine's. And you bought it, you know? It's I a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, could we do this? <laughs> Oh yeah. Do you know what Not PC. No, no, please. This was funny stuff. This is some of the yeah. first stuff I think Ted and Terry wrote. Yeah. Well, that's what we, this this picture started this comic back and forth uh, character uh, comedy routines. Yeah. It was I don't know, something that we hadn't really been doing before. Yeah, I think this one really uh, opened the comedy doors at Disney's in a, in a much larger way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to actually go for big laughs and and still try and get the heart and the sincerity in the story was important. Well, the Jasmine would play along with it all. That was it. Just gave yeah. you a lot of opportunity. I have to say too, it is hugely supported by the design. It's supported by the background design. It's supported by the design of the characters. You couldn't do the kind of material we're trying to do here and have overtly complex, hyper-realistic yeah. yeah. character designs, uh, you know, because it doesn't work. You don't, you don't want to laugh at it. I got to say, this is Tony Bancroft's stuff again on, on Iago. Very, very funny. It is. Hand-drawn husband did Jafar in this section. My diamond in the rough. That's him? That's a car we've been waiting for! Oh! 
have the gods extend him an invitation to the past. It was funny stuff, though. This is broad animation. Oh, gosh, you're so cool. <laughs> that was great. Almost there. Some Tony DeRosa's bit. It's really nice. You know, when you're supervising a character, there's no way you can do it without a really strong right-hand man. You can take the lion's share of work, and that was, that was Tony for me. He's a darn good animator. Yeah, Tony's phenomenal. You just worked with Tony. That's right. On uh, the Looney Tune. Correct. Picture. Yep. And he got an Annie Award nomination. For yes, that. he did. Tony Tony did some great stuff in Pocahontas too. On Nakoma. Yeah, he yeah. did Nakoma. And a lot of Pocahontas too, actually, here and there. Then Beast. Hail Tony. This is a real Disney scene to me. You know, it's it's something that draws you into the world and the, the foreground and the background and, and all the levels are at play here. And I couldn't wait to animate that. That was a beautiful scene. It, it, it you know, it's got everything right in it. <laughs> so this, this little bit that Aladdin has got to do with this apple, it's got to look like he's done it a zillion times. And uh, I had been trying a different way. I'd always kind of pop something on the underside of my elbow off. Never did it like over the shoulder like that with the backside of my elbow. And I couldn't do it, and I couldn't explain it to anybody how to do it. So fortunately, they're animated characters, and they can do anything. This place right here, he's, he's being vulnerable. He's re revealing what he wants in life. And, and so is Jasmine at this point. These are moments that they, they, you may not get to do all the squash and stretch and fun, but there's a lot of depth to it that's really equally enjoyable. Abu says, uh, that's not fair. Oh, did he? Yeah, of course. And does Abu have anything else to say? Well, uh, he wishes... Russell Azadani's layouts are, are amazing, <laughs> particularly in this sequence. It's so simple. It reads just so incredibly well. The slight camera move, you know. Well, and the shapes and the clouds and everything, how everything's sort of reflected in each other. It's just, it's, it really was the first really consistent-looking Disney animation in a long time. And Razul was, was never isolated like some other department where you would just get backgrounds. He was constantly working very closely with us and in preparing and... and and laying these scenes out, setting them up so the characters would work well. There's his namesake in the movie, too. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Animated by Phil Young, who did all these guard characters, including Razul. Unhand <laughs> him! There was even uh, a scene that was, or a line uh, of Jafar that was uh, taken out when he said the magic words to make the tiger appear in the desert, and it was supposed to be Razul Azadani. <laughs> and we had re recorded that, and I had animated that, and then Jeffrey Katzenberg said, I think that is a little bit too much in-house humor. People won't get it. <laughs> so we cut it. Well, also, people were concerned because it was we basically named the character after him. John, John Musker and Ron Clemens named the character after him as a tribute to, to Russell. We didn't realize that the name actually means prophet, and so people thought we were trying to make some sort of a joke. This is probably the section that I enjoyed most out of all of the Jafar scenes, where Mark Kinn in Florida again animated Jasmine, 
And the interplay between the two characters was really enjoyable. It was so well written, what they were saying and how they were playing off each other. There was one tricky part. Um, Mark Han had animated a scene completely uh, alone with Jasmine, and she was reacting to Jafar. So I had to place my animation of Jafar very accurately so it looks like she is reacting to him. So I had to work backwards in this case. The scene is coming up right here. This is all animated, and she was like reacting to his hands being on her shoulders, <laughs> but his hands were animated uh, after the fact. A lot of the extra bits also got added during a process in production called workbook turnover, where we would take a storyboarded sequence and uh, start staging it uh, in order to go into animation layout. But at the same time, as well as the layout artists and the directors, the supervising animators would be there and we'd all be guarding our turf. We'd all be throwing in extra bits. Oh, here's a bit that Genie can do. Here's a bit Jafar can do. Here's a bit Abu can do. And, uh, and I think the movie got very rich from that kind of give and take in those workbook turnover sessions in which John and Ron were very, very generous to input. She was the princess. To animate a character where both arms are tied down, and, and I can't remember if it was Tony's animation in here. I think it was. I think there's some Dave Steffen in here, Dave too. Dave Steffen, th yeah, thank you. You don't have hands to gesture with. You just have a head to move around. Love that scene. Oh, that's <laughs> had him mimic the girl. Great poses. Look yeah. at this stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great gag. Is it the voice of uh, Abu? Frank uh, Welker. Frank Welker, yeah. who makes uh, a living out of doing these terrific animal voices, as well as, you know, character voices as well. Almost any any uh, horse, monkey, dog, cat, you name it, uh, in a Hollywood movie, it's been overdubbed by Frank Welker. Here comes Jafar as the old beggar, animated by Kathy Zielinski. And it was interesting. He, he should look like Jafar, but not completely. So we were walking that fine line where even the audience had to wonder a little bit. A lot of this uh, sequence was boarded, storyboarded by Kevin Lima, who was one of the directors on Tarzan. And I remember distinctly in his boards, whoever has the gold makes the rules. This drawing, <laughs> which uh, Kathy realized beautifully. Uh, you know, it was such a disgusting single drawing. <laughs> it really plays as a moment. Things aren't always... But, you know, this is a good example of, of doing something that is ugly, but there's still appeal to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're not revolted. You want to watch it. Well, also, this was a film where, in the storyboards, there was so much great material from Kevin and Bernie and, uh, and from Ed Gombert. A lot of the time, it was really just like you're just bringing it to life. Uh, I, I know that was true for a lot of Iago. There's a lot of Gombert's posing just... We translated it verbatim uh, from from Ed Gombert's storyboards. This was such a cool image. Fetch me the lamp, and then you shall have your reward. 
Come on, Abu. As I recall, that scene where the tiger says, proceed, we staged it that way because uh, of the enormity of his mouth. If you actually saw him do an O mouth on pro and then opened it up for the E and seed, it would have just looked garish. So I said, let's just do eye sync on it. So you just do it with his eye attitudes. Mm. You are so smart. <laughs> that is a great, I'm, gotta remember that. This was the beginning of the carpet animation Randy Cartwright did. And that's that amazing mapping that they did on his artwork. Yeah, you could never do anything like that by hand. Yeah, Tina Price did the uh, texture mapping of the uh, of the design on the carpet. And Randy, Randy, Randy's carpet is a textbook case of how to define how a character is feeling just through body position. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a head. He doesn't have. A spine. He doesn't have arms and legs, and yet you know how this character is feeling by the way he walks. Look, this is a sneak. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's terrific. He's playful. Yeah, he's like Randy himself. <laughs> the, also, most, the most uh, emotionally uh, competent uh, r rectangle anybody's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crazy? But it's a real nod to uh, the silent actors, you know, with Charlie Chaplin, um, that you can really communicate a lot of heart and entertainment just by the way a character moves in silhouette and poses. Randy went through and drew all of this by hand, the shapes, the acting, and working with Tina then, uh, who put the, the whole mapping of this complex design in, and pushing the, a CG shape into uh, to fit into randy's uh, character drawings maybe you can help us <laughs> you see we're trying to find this lamp yeah that's one of the ultimate challenges of animation is they always we were always taught to you should be able to turn the sound down on your scene and even if it's dialogue scene know exactly what's going on and the having a pantomime character like the the carpet and really um abu too is uh, always a lot of fun to watch, and it's one of the reasons why animation is so translatable across cultures and sometimes even time. Uh -huh. Amazing layouts here, these shapes are yeah. great. Rasul Azadani was always pushing for scale in, the, mm. in his layouts. He really got it in this one. Was effect supervisor this, on the movie? Do you remember? This is what we came all the way yeah, to. Don Paul had done the FX animation on this movie. Don is an amazing effects animator. And there's a there's a great appropriateness to how effects are used and how lighting is used and when tones are used and even more importantly when they're not, which uh, is really amazing. Some some uh, CG effects coming up here that also have a lot of 2D mixed in. Really successfully. And at this time, because we knew there was uh, computer uh, sequences were beginning to be designed, knowing that you could move in and out of the sequence uh, of, of the backgrounds. Of the Z-plane, yeah. yeah. 
And there's those computer lava effects with some 2D overlays. Yeah, it's not really a clash of the two mediums. It yeah. really works as a, as a unit. They, they sync up pretty well. Mm -hmm. This was so scary, I remember. You were just on that carpet you, yourself, just Audience fighting with went, them. Wow, yeah. yeah. This, this, was, this was one of the first of the real thrill ride sequences <laughs> in uh, Disney films. This really works great. <laughs> this is a great character. In fact, uh, I know the layout artists actually looked at the film uh, element from Star Tours, uh, the exhibit at Disneyland, uh, as, a, uh, as a reference for this sequence. Didn't even know that. Sure feels like a ride. Yeah. <laughs> as a reference, but not, they didn't use it directly. No, they didn't use it directly. <laughs> Whenever you say that, people say, oh, they just used it. No, they didn't. They, they looked at it and they, they improved it. Now, if you'll notice on the effects animation, even that has Hirschfeldian curly cues in it, like the wind going past. Yeah. You know, the I sand. Mean, the sand. Right mm -hmm. It's uh, it's really designed all of a piece, uh, and I think that's one of the great successes of the film. Right down to the cleanup. I mean, even the cleanup had thick and thin, and, and you know, for a long time they said, well, because we're digitizing our cleanup now, we can't do that. And, Eric, I remember you fighting hard and winning. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and winning. Yes, you can. And we got beautiful thick and thin lines on, on this picture. This was a dramatic effect. This uh, tiger, the tiger's head dissolving into the sand. Uh, I remember seeing that in dailies and just being awestruck. It's roaring up there and falling apart. Some great stuff from Kathy. I... The th great thing about Thick and Thin is that first, it looks like a lot of the classic cartoons because it replicates an ink line. The other thing that's great about it is because it has thickness in the middle of the line. In other words, it tapers uh, thin from one side, thick in the middle, and then tapers out thin again. You can actually see the color in the line work much more clearly than if, if it had been uh, just a very even line. Look at uh, the Sultan's shoulder, for example. And that was, there was a lot of training going on with the cleanup staff doing that. Uh, though it wasn't, you didn't have to work hard to convince him. Bill Berg, who did the cleanup of, of Aladdin and a lot of other characters I've worked with, I, that's what, he, he loves the beauty of line and uh, the flow of line. Um, it, it gives the uh, the characters a a weight on the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very difficult to do it all uh, an even line weight around a character and keep it looking alive. I mean, it can be done, but it's it's very very difficult. They were worried about uh, just keeping line consistency. Kind of so. Now here is here we go. We're shifting into tenth gear now. Look at this beautiful effects work here. And then it's ruined. Crick <laughs> <laughs> in the neck! Hang on a second. The scene coming up where the genie is actually contemplating his belly and pushes it up and then it plops back down again. I, I was doing that as a caricature of myself. I'd put on a lot of weight. But 
all the pregnant mothers who had taken their older children loved that scene. They would come up to me, that's me, that's, that's me in my, you know, eighth month. <laughs> Well, you know, the great thing is that as much of Robin Williams as there is in this movie, folks, there is uh, also the pure Eric Goldberg uh, across the board here. A lot smaller than my last master. Either that or I'm getting bigger. Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? Wait, wait a minute. This scene reminds me of, of a story when he's turning into Arnold Schwarzenegger way at the beginning of the movie. I had no idea that the flair in the story would be like this. And I remember Kathy Bailey, who did the cleanup for Jafar, she came running into my room and she says, guess what they're doing? They're having the genie turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I said, they're doing what? They can't do that. So I had no idea at the time where we're going with this. So I went out and saw the boards and then it dawned on me, ah, this is where this movie is going. I get it. On the wishing for more wishes. Well, that even the, the Groucho bit is painted in black and white. <laughs> everything, everything is possible. If, you know, with the genie, he, he really gives you complete freedom. So, Friend Like Me uh, was actually the first sequence to be completed in Aladdin. And if you can see, the genie has shorter ears. It's a slightly earlier version of Aladdin before we had actually settled on his final design. You know, Bill Berg, uh, Aladdin's cleanup artist, worked heroically to conform my poor Aladdin drawings <laughs> to the current model. And, uh, but it served because it was so wild. Uh, you know, I think we felt, you know, uh, it was certainly more than acceptable, even if there were a few variations. Over the course of production, the genie's ears got longer, you know, he got a little more defined, but basically uh, the characters here. I love the fact that these are all tableaus. They are like illustrations in a way. They're moving, but they go into very clear images and poses that tell the story. People think that he's moving all the time, he's moving a whole lot, but in reality, the poses that you're hitting aren't that many. Like that attitude, he's dancing. It's yeah. not over-animated, yeah. ever. I, I call it the uh, name that tune style of animation. You know, name that tune used to be an old game show where you'd have to name a particular song by hearing only about three notes. Well, I can name that tune in uh, three notes, Bob. So I can name that scene in three notes, you in can three name, poses, Bob. You know? Name that attitude. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, that's pride. <laughs> that's fear. That's, yeah. Well, they have a character walk out of his own mouth and then <laughs> rip himself in half. What I also like about the sequence is that the backgrounds were kept to a minimum, just color cards. Yes. So everything and, reads so well. And beautifully done color cards because they have just the right amount of depth to them. Um, color cards can be very easily screwed up. <laughs> Richard Vanderwind did the color keys for this sequence and he was so proud of it, you know, because it just went nuttier and nuttier and more and more stylized as the sequence continued. And it keeps building and building and building. I think Dan Hansen may have done the layout on this scene, on that one where it just keeps pulling back and back and back. He did a great that scene job. made me scream when he was doing the uh, windmill walk there. Uh, there's a little story about this applause sign here, which is that when the film was in previews, um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, wanted all of the song moments to have applause. And he came back after one preview and he said, nobody's applauding at the end of, of, of the song. What can we do? 
So I stuck an applause sign on the back of the genie's back, and it stayed in the movie. Though I remember in our screenings, everybody applauded in the studio. I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty picture. I don't like doing it. Other than that, you got it. Here comes the famous taxi driver scene where the genie imitates Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver, the kind of you-talking-to-me scene. I don't know, Abu. You probably can't even get us out of this cave. Looks like we're going to have to find a way out of here. Excuse me? Are you looking at me? Did when we premiered it, Martin Scorsese, the director of Taxi Driver, was in the audience, and he howled. He just thought it was great. Wasn't there some concern that people thought he was being too mean? Uh, yeah. But I think he goes right back to being, yeah. you know, amiable. So I don't think it's a problem. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We... And of course, one of the first Disney in-jokes here, keep your hands and arms inside the carpet, that Robin threw in for us. If it weren't for all your years of loyal service, I just love this this overstuffed palace, you know, with these huge columns, you know, so nicely caricatured. I assure you, Your Highness, it won't happen. The truck into the background, I know that was an Ian Gooding background painting, just beautiful. Also, it's a nice contrast to go to this cold marble after this hot uh, sequence with the genie. At least some good will come of my being forced to marry. When I am queen, I will have the power it's Ken to Duncan's animation on uh, Jafar here? Yes, it is. We had some fun with his mouth because he has a mouth sort of like a mask would have, you know. There's no realism involved, and you could uh, invent your own mouth shapes, if you will. It's pure 2D, yeah. I mean, the characters really... Yeah. <laughs> Look at those. Those are great. I was trying to do what Duncan did with the monkey here, and it didn't quite <laughs> pay off. It wasn't quite up to it. Double shadows on him. <laughs> Note, too, that the shadows aren't just gray. They're purple. You know, they have color in them. It all works with the color design in the movie. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jafar. What if you were the chump husband? What? Okay, okay, you marry... I forgot in Aladdin. Uh, this is in one place in Aladdin where uh, Iago actually had an idea. Most of the time he was executing orders, but he sort of came up with an idea here. I become Sultan. Well, having great timing and dialogue for an animator, it just it tells you where to go. You can see the scene before it's even animated in your head. I think that was about as loud as they would let Gilbert Gottfried get. Right there. <laughs> Yeah, there they are. They're, they're actually, even for all their differences, they're very similar in uh, their inner personality is the same they're, guy. They're yeah. still buddies. Yeah. Partners in crime. One's smooth, the other one's coarse, but they're both rotten we guys. have the uh, Oasis scene, the uh, flight attendant animated by Raul Garcia, and a lot of this animation by Dave Burgess, uh, who did terrific work on, uh, on the genie. They all did terrific work on the genie. This is Dave Burgess. The upcoming cookbook scene is uh, Dave Burgess. Even that hand, though, where he makes the one. This is, is Bruce it? Johnson, who uh, always gave me more than I expected <laughs> in every single scene. It was always pushed further, just the way that, even just the way the sheep's butt goes up. What would you wish for? Me? 
Scott Wanger was the voice of, of Aladdin. And the, the voice of a character also tells you something about their design. You draw their eyes a little different, the eyebrows a little different. It's not like you can just stick any voice to a face. And Scott had this really nice, young voice that, uh, but at the same time, there was a, a strength of character to it. There's a weight to the voice. I, I don't know. I, it's things like that that you're, it's hard to put into words, but they affect your drawing. The famous Pinocchio head scene, um, this came from a riff that uh, Robin did on the stage. He went, uh-huh, yeah, right. And the boot I had known from his routines uh, was Pinocchio's nose draw, uh, oh, he growing. Does, he does a gesture, right? Yeah, Where he, he does sticks his finger to his and nose and then he sort of draws right. it out about two feet in front of his exactly. face. Exactly. Um, but we were only hearing the audio. And, and Ron didn't know what it was. And John kind of knew what it was. I'm not sure. And I said, look, Disney's owns the character. If we're gonna, <laughs> let's use this. Let's not, you know, let's just go ahead and make it Pinocchio <laughs> and drop the other shoe. And, uh, you know... I don't think the, the scene would have gotten as big a laugh if we had compromised on what Pinocchio looked like in that scene. It just had to be exactly Pinocchio. And fortunately, uh, the company owned the rights to the character, so there you go. <laughs> well, it, it says a lot about the movie again, though, because the, the genie actually knows what Walt Disney's Pinocchio looks like. He, he exists in no times, or he exists in all time spaces, and he exists in all places, so he can actually reference things. The other characters don't know what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> well, it's funny about, I mean, just rules. What are the rules to the world that you've created? You know, it's like, well, we've got... The, uh, the tiger can't talk, you know, because that wouldn't be believable. <laughs> but you could stick in Pinocchio, yeah. a Disney character from the past, and that's okay. Yeah. It's, it's very true. But I, I think with the genie just, yeah, I think everyone considered that he could travel time and space fairly easily, although somehow he seems to have gotten lodged pretty well in the 1960s. Don't ask me why. <laughs> that's an awesome scene. You know, there was controversy over things like Arsenio, I remember, and, and you know, God bless uh, Musker and Clemens because they said, you know, it's just going to be funny. It's, it's you know, Some people won't know what it is, and years from now, people may forget, but it just looks funny. If it looks funny, we'll go with it. Mike Show did that camel transformation, and I, re I remember the story went that uh, Ron Clements asked him, did you enjoy that squashy, stretchy scene? And he said, yes, he said, it's good, because you probably won't have one like it for the next several pictures. <laughs> Squash and stretch is the technique that animators employ uh, to give uh, fluidity and elasticity uh, to their characters, meaning that... Uh, Everything works organically within a character. So if his facial muscles, if his mouth is open wide, his facial muscles and the rest of his head would stretch, uh, you know, except for the cranium, which is hard bone. Um, and uh, it would squash back up again uh, if he was taking an impact or if, he, or if his mouth were making a consonant. Uh, and that kind of play of squash and stretch gives your character uh, that kind of flexibility on screen. This is Brian Ferguson's first uh, animation. Brian is a phenomenal animator, and he did uh, Iago in the sequence, and he is uh, totally crazy. He's one of the most insanely inventive animators I've ever worked with. 
And yet, when, when you meet him and talk to him, he's this nice, polite guy. You know, <laughs> but once he hits that drawing board, all his crazy and zaniness comes out. It's true. Me, but I he's Jekyll and Hyde. That only a prince can marry a he's such I'm a sweet guy, and he does the zaniest animation. For desperate measures, my lord. Desperate measures. You will order the princess to marry me. Dave Proxmo's stuff on The Sultan is so nice. It's a good, solid squash and stretch, and yet really a sincere character, too. The princess will marry me. I love his little hands and little feet. Well, he, he walks and runs like a happy little kid, which is a great Contrast. piece to his character. <laughs> Jafar, you must come and see this. Tom Cito animated most of the uh, Prince Ali genie, uh, the uh, band leader genie in this sequence. Ken Duncan animated the harem girls. This Great is all Tom Cito stuff. Great looking miscellaneous characters, they're fun. It's really difficult to do crowds. Yes. You know, and shots where you can see the sky and you're seeing uh, confetti makes it a little easier. It's staged cleverly, though. You know, the money shots are the ones with have, which have a lot of characters in them, but most of these are single or two-character shots. You know, you just convince the audience that, yes, you're watching a crowd. You just got to keep returning to it every once in a while. Yep. That was Tony Bancroft's first scene on Iago, and I think it was the first color scene we got. There's a lot of good stills of that one. Great, great gags here. This was... Dave Burgess? This is this Dave year? Burgess, yeah. yeah, all this stuff right here. The lyrics in this song are amazing. There's there's stuff that you, you, you can't you can't even keep up with it. Um, there's the part where they say that the servants are lousy with loyalty. That is just hilarious. This is my idea of a joke on top of a joke. Because not only did Robin riff the um, Thanksgiving Day Parade commentators, um, we put them in winter clothing and had steam coming out of their mouths as well. <laughs> and they're in the middle of the desert. So <laughs> it's just there if anybody catches it, you know. I felt like I was watching the Rose Bowl parade. <laughs> the genie, when he turns into a woman, uh, Robin Williams does this great Ethel Merman like. <laughs> Sound, which is hilarious, yeah. and then the gags are funny. Who did the animation on the genie there? Oh, and, uh, the Ethel Merman genie yeah. was also Dave Burgess. Dave Burgess. Uh, it's nice, nice stuff. And this is Nick Ranieri's oh, yeah. Jafar coming up, one of here's his great, priceless drawings. Here's a great, really limited animation gag that ends this when they're behind the door. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tom Cito did that dance scene really nice. Charles Spinner. Larry White did a lot of all these animals. I was in the same office with Larry and into all these <laughs> zillions of animals and birds, and he was just cranking away for weeks. And so, God, Larry, this is amazing stuff you're doing. And he, he would just stare at me. I'd have this one little bird to draw, and he would just stare at me from across the room. <laughs> one of the unsung heroes, yeah. Yeah, Larry's a phenomenal guy. And Larry was a great teacher at uh, Cal Arts for a couple of years. A lot of the people working in animation right now learn their, their trade from him. There's Nick again, Nick Ranieri. Limited animation, but very poignant. 
It's so much of a self-portrait of Nick, too. It's, <laughs> it's incredible how, how much you can see, uh, you know, when the animator puts himself into the part. Uh, the gestures become the animator's gestures, the facial expressions. You know, it's funny how that happens. My favorite scene of Nick's at the end of this sequence is him going, it's time to say goodbye to Prince Apubu. <laughs> <laughs> and it hardly moves, but it's really nice. <laughs> Nice funny take from Rick there, I think. This, uh, the Iago here is Brian Ferguson again. As a supervisor in this uh, picture, it was, uh, I, I had it easy because he was in so few scenes that I could supervise individual animators and let them do their own sequences and uh, just make sure he was on model and uh, the timing was correct. Great gag. <laughs> like that. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then he did this amazing thing where he put little sultans flying around his head. And Mark Hester, who's uh, in editorial, did the... <laughs> Everybody was just trying to top and add stuff, you know, across the board and effects and editorial everywhere. This is a very impressive youth and a prince besides. If we're lucky, you won't... I remember uh, Gilbert Gottfried mantra on this film was when in doubt hurt the bird it seemed to be a good formula <laughs> there's not that was kind of controversial because that was right out of Wayne's world it, so was, that's gonna it was a big laugh though yeah it was I think we all looked at this kind of topicality the same way that Warner Brothers cartoons had topicality there would be a caricature of Clark Gable there would yeah. be a caricature yeah. of Greta Garbo. You Eddie know what? Cantor, They're still you know. running those cartoons. Well, when we were kids, we didn't know what Eddie Cantor was, you know, but if it was funny, it was funny. Yeah. So There's a great scene where the way they all react to her is very embarrassing. I love that Aladdin kind of hitting this, his leg there, just a little nervous. They're all kind of like in trouble because they were talking about her behind her back. That scene got huge laughs in dailies because it was just amazing to see three characters with very opposite personalities all reacting the same way. Oops, busted. What am I gonna do? Jasmine won't even let me talk to her. I love the, ele the elephant and the banana. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> so move. Nice animation by Joe Hadar here. In the uh, chess scene. Was this including Rodney Dangerfield's cameo. Jeannie, I need help. All right, Sparky, here's the deal. And Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Uh, based on a caricature by John Musker. I was having trouble with the Jack Nicholson, and uh, John pushed it further, and we got the Jack out of it. Jasmine found out I was really some... It's nice having uh, Musker as a caricaturist by your side on oh, this thing. yes, absolutely. Did, was this the segment where the genie turned into John Wayne for a few minutes? Uh, yes, he did at one time. I always miss that. <laughs> I, I, that was funny. It did, it, a lot of stuff got cut, not for not lack of working, just for time. There just wasn't enough time to get it all in. And there are some that I still remember and expect to be there that aren't. Like a prince. There he is being very sincere again. Now, I, I'll take a little bit of uh, credit for the staging there, which I kind of like which is we didn't have to see Aladdin exit on the carpet. All you had to see was the sad genie's expression and then the shadow cast over his face. And you know, the head Eric, turned around. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> we had 2,700 feet of this character to do and needed every helping hand we could get. So how's our little bow doing? He cuts his own head off and he doesn't have a head. I mean, that is clarity. That is masterful animation when you can read that. 
Now, there's some beautiful work here between uh, Jasmine and Aladdin here. Yeah, this was just a, a camera. Lennon Mark at their form, at the top of their form. In op on opposite sides of the country and making it look so effortless. It just, it's awesome. But with this cool little bee, this genie <laughs> buzzing around, they were my favorite scenes. They have, have, have had that big on your paper as you're drawing it, <laughs> flipping it. I mean, it, it, the pencil that I use is this big, thick lead pencil that... It actually worked when I was doing something that size. It made sense. <laughs> All the other times, it doesn't make sense. But finally, it paid off. Great. great. Raul Garcia animated all of the Genie B scenes. He really wanted those, and I tried to cast the animators on the scenes they really wanted. So uh, there are no B scenes. Yeah, uh, no, only, no B. There are only A scenes. <laughs> I'm sorry. And every other stuff shirt. You want to use every prop you've got, including that little feather there on top, and everything you can. One little note here. What I, one thing I love about this film is production value where it needs it and nowhere else. In the way that the effects animators rendered the gemstone in the middle of Aladdin and, and Jasmine's uh, headpieces, you know, it has beautiful you know, a blur to it and a highlight, and it's just enough to make it rich without overdoing it, without overstating it, and you don't have to have it anywhere else on the character. In the long shots, there's no shadow. As soon as you come in close enough and the character's face fills the screen, there's shadows. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the audience doesn't notice it because they're flowing right along. And sometimes when they you're bombarding the audience with effects in every scene, it, it just becomes tedious, and then you have nowhere to go. This because is all of your setup. Are... This, this scene is an important setup with that hand sticking out there. Um, if we had to make it exactly the same as the very end scene in the picture. This was a terrific song. This And this was actually one of the things that stayed, um, even from the original first boarding pass, that they would have this magic carpet ride. Brad Kane sang the uh, this song, which you just assume it's Scott Wenger singing. Uh, the voice qualities are very close. And Bernie Mattinson, I think, did the storyboards on this. I think Francis Glebus did some development work too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and this is also aside from the song and aside from the animation, or I would, or should I say, along with it, you know, the layout is the star as well in this sequence. Beautiful work by Rasul and his crew to really make you feel airborne. Um, there's not too many sequences in uh, Disney films that work as well that way. I mean, I recall the scene in uh, Peter Pan when they're first flying over London and you see the great depth, you know, below them. And I think uh, Rasul has gotten some of the same qualities in this sequence. Even though when I saw the sequence for the first time in rough animation, I was talking to Ron and John and I thought, aren't they flying a little fast? And uh, I thought the song sort of is kind of a ballad. Wouldn't it be nicer to slow down a little bit? But he, he really wanted to show the exuberance of what it means like being in love. So I can certainly see that point of view. Leia Salonga sang the Jasmine part here. Mark Han animated uh, both of those characters. Um, this is a part where it worked pretty good. We'll have one guy in Florida hitting both characters until they um, 
they sit down at the top of the roof where we started working by coastal again. It's fun that they got to cruise all over the world too. I mean, it was just such a great fanciful idea. And now, of course, here's where she knows. And there's a little apple bump. I know who you are. <laughs> yeah, she started to suspect with that hand gesture, yes. and then the apple kind of clinched it. Coming up is one of my favorite little moments with um, uh, between Jasmine and Aladdin. It's a very, very subtle little stuff where they're sitting next to each other and Aladdin is putting on this big show and and they're really kind of becoming comfortable with each other and she suspected who he is and there's this little bump that that she does with her her shoulders her hips against him and stuff like that it's it's like um it's just pure gold because they're they prove that they're not cartoon characters they're they're real people No, that, that's not what I meant. Who are you? Tell me the truth. Really nice, subtle stuff here. And the, the effects, again, just, just highlight it. You know, it makes it feel lavish that they're at this extravagant setting, and it's just a, you know, a little colored gel over them flashing on off. Great expressions on where he's losing himself there, because I always love that, that he'll just, you know, for a few frames be uh, struggling with his uh, facade there. Nice, nice caught in a lie animation. Royalty going out into the city in disguise. This is that little, little thing back and forth between the two of them. Not that strange. <laughs> Everybody's lived that moment. <laughs> we we had we use live action reference on some of these characters, but we don't uh, trace the live action. We we use it as a study uh, between, you know, pulling experiences from your own life and made the character better. Tony Fuccelli is coming up here with this wonderful little kiss that he he brought uh, between both. And, and these little darting back and yeah, the eyes. the eyes. Yeah. I think we all thought this was the hottest kiss ever animated <laughs> in a Disney movie. <laughs> and he's knocked out. <laughs> One thing that was also nice about that sequence was counterpointing everything that's going on with uh, Randy Cartwright's carpet, you know, just yeah. punctuating, you know, uh, Aladdin, you're making a wrong turn. Uh, yeah. Don't say that. <laughs> that sounds yeah. dumb. She's going to tell. She's going to tell it's a lie. <laughs> Very far side looking gag during a, uh, a uh, serious moment. Here they are, maybe. The movie made great use of lighting for emotional content in this, uh, you know, in that scene in particular, with uh, the backlighting of Jafar. And going to black behind Aladdin as he passes out, that was, that was pretty uh, unique. Some great Dave Steffen stuff where he's going down. And then the, the, the genie stuff, some of this is Bruce Johnson, right? Uh, yes, the uh, submarine is Bruce Johnson. Uh, the um, uh, I can't I can't get you out of there uh, until I you know until you make a wish uh, is uh, Dave Burgess. You know, story wise, this was really a tough thing trying to get that lamp to get next to his hand. You know, working with layout, getting him on a little hill just enough to slide it down. 
he's, his arms are confined again. Yeah. As you say, that's a hard thing to animate. To make it believable so the audience wasn't, wasn't going to go, ah, come on, that wouldn't happen. I'll take that as a yes. Bruce Johnson here. The detached head. You know, it's great the way the design can just inform even something like the upshot on the water surface there. Again, because everyone was so certain about the type of design we were working with, it was easy. This is uh, Dave Burgess even in the sincere moments, too, with a line we weren't sure was going to stay in the movie. Not that I want to pick out curtains or anything. Not that I want to pick out curtains or anything. It stayed in the movie, and I loved the fact that what Robin brought to the table is not letting anything get quite too sentimental. You buy the sincere moment and then just a little, you know, uh, puncture with the humor, and then you move on. If you have a cartoony design for a character, as far as the style of animation is concerned, um, that actually gives you plenty of range to either play it broadly or play it subtly. You can take the genie's design and shrink it down to minimal movement and still get the subtlety out of the character that you need. But the converse isn't necessarily true. If you have a very realistically designed character, it's almost impossible to get a sincere laugh out of it, out of a drawing. Having trod down some of that road, the, the, the tough thing is you get to the point where, especially when they're going to inhibit you on it, where the characters are not allowed to be as zany as a really comic actor will be in a real frame. Well, that's it. We're dead. Forget <gasps> it. Just dig a grave for both of us. We're dead. <laughs> dig a grave. Let's this see, Gilbert, uh, Ed living again. You know, Iago doesn't really look like Gilbert Gottfried looks. He looks like Gilbert sounds. Um, one of the things that Gilbert does a lot is he closes his eyes during his comedy a lot, and I didn't want to do that. But he does have very, very big teeth. We used two actors, uh, Rob Willoughby and uh, Rabina Ritchie, for studying live action. It's one of the things that you do when you've got a crew that large to, to get a cohesiveness in the performance together, to, to base your performance on the study of a couple actors in common really helps. Did they uh, did they shoot it scene for scene, or was it just sort of done in like a, a master? Uh, we shot it scene by scene. Uh, big chunk of time spent doing that actually throughout the production. They shot those over at uh, uh, Imagineering. Imagineering. Yeah. Gilbert was ad libbing like crazy here. We gotta travel light. Bring the guns, the weapons, the knives, and uh, how about this picture? I don't know. I think I'm making a weird face in it. <laughs> that had made Robin Williams laugh, which was very <laughs> satisfying. The picture. Yeah, if you could make the comedians laugh, that was always a plus. <laughs> Everybody's trying to top each other. <laughs> and Jafar here is... Nick Ranieri. Okay, you can tell. It's, it's a me and Nick again. In. I don't know how I put that out of my head. <laughs> me and Nick again. You and Nick were uh, Cogsworth and Lumiere as well. Yeah. Nick has a very interesting way of timing his characters. He would really hold certain things still and then just have a part of the body being animated, you know, to, to just get a point across. A very, very interesting style of animation. Aladdin! You've just won the heart of the princess. What are you going to do next? 
This is where they were afraid the temptation was going to be. I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> that was the point. <laughs> <laughs> All that stuff was animated by uh, Bruce Johnston. And this, which is a beautiful scene, the... Uh, the face that he squishes Aladdin into and the face he makes, is, it's all Bruce Johnson. It's just great stuff. Rej Bordage did a lot of the quiet stuff of the genie reacting to Aladdin telling him this news. This is now there's all Reg where, Bordage. And there's where the genie used to break into Walter Cronkite. Yes. Hell, you won. You would snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. I always, I still expect I him to that. do that. <laughs> And again, it just was a time thing. The scene had to move on, but it was always so funny. You've snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Fine, I understand. You know, you, you could probably make a, a five-hour marathon out of some of the stuff that was ad-libbed for this movie. You probably could. <laughs> these were nice. Teresa Martin did these uh, cutaways to uh, the carpet and, and the elephant, and uh, they were really, really effective scenes in, in their emotional... Uh, reactions to Aladdin. Um, she was uh, coming out of uh, cleanup and uh, really impressed everybody with these scenes. Well, they're great. And, you know, in the context of the film, they're great, too, because yeah. they really help support, you know, what an audience member should be feeling, what a, what a you know, uh, what a counterpoint to what Aladdin is saying. Now, coming up is a scene between Iago and a, and a, a flamingo that, again, Ed Gombert's boarding was so clear that it was very easy for me to animate this. But I got it in my head that I could do it better, and uh, I tried to do it over the weekend, and Ron said, go back to your first day. <laughs> <laughs> the, the flamingo's laugh there is actually mine, too. Mark Hester, <laughs> Mark Hester asked me to come in and record that, and uh, they used it for some reason. Excellent work, Iago. Ah, go on. No, really, on a scale of one to ten, you are an eleven. Oh, <laughs> there he is. He's, he's trying to mim out mimic the genie, but I don't think he's doing a very good job. <laughs> he's got a great reaction at screening, so. <laughs> Coming up, some massive crowd scenes that work very, very well. Well, yeah, didn't they take, uh, this again, it was Reg did a little square of about 10 people and then they multiplied it yeah. over and over and over again and shot it out of focus. Again, that was a very innovative thing at the time. There we go. <laughs> There's no way anybody would hand draw yeah. that. And even no the turbulence way. they put into that other, that second shot um, was uh, sort of an early CG effect. You know, Al, I'm getting really don't think you're him. Tonight, the part of Al will be played by a tall, dark, and sinister, ugly man. <laughs> I am your master. Great Robin riff there. <laughs> Genie, grant me my first wish. I wish That's to rule Ken Duncan. Yeah, from this point on, I start to lose track out of who's doing Iago. Some of it's me, some of it's Tom, some of it's Tony. It's all over, it's all over the globe at that point. And so much, even as the, the big climactic ending, is racing towards the end of the film. The animators are racing towards the end of their time to animate this film. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's funny yeah. how that works. <laughs> it's funny how you do the first half of the movie, oh, in about eight months, and you have just a few months left, you know, for <laughs> to the do the half. second half, yeah. Every movie's like that. I remember Tony Fucilli animated that little Aladdin reaction looking up from his hat. And the reason I, I recall it 
because I is because I liked it. And for you single frame geeks out there, there's a smear drawing on Aladdin's face for one frame <laughs> as he's lifting it up. I got a new master now. I order you to stop. <laughs> like his little chest here. I order. Finally. Yako somehow got a little turban too, which is silly. Uh, Randy Cartwright came up with that gag that the song would start to bow to him just out of sheer cowardice. Uh, he almost just started following orders from the get-go. I remember, Andreas, you, you, you liked this scene because you always wanted Jafar to have a song moment in the movie, so he finally gets one here. Wait, this was also where Why Me was, which was a fantastic song. I still love that song. Yeah, there were a few versions uh, for this sequence, and then this is the final, of course. I liked uh, Jafar's costume in this. I always thought he looked like a spider. Everything was spiky here, and his shoulders and the hat, everything. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't want to meet sharper. up in a dark alley with those shoulders, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Read my lips and come to grips with real. And Tim Rice worked a little bit of uh, Read My Lips had become the the uh, George Bushes the catchphrase of the year. Yeah. And of course, he's being very hammy. He's being the performer on stage, having fun with humiliating these people and torturing them. And Why Me was, a, was, I think, a more extended song, and that's why they wound up not using it, because it just somehow couldn't sustain itself at the moment. So this is more of a reprise. But it was a phenomenal song, and, and Jonathan's vocal was, was amazing. We all worked on boarding it and gag, doing gags on it, but when it screened, the audience really just wanted to move on. It is hard to fit songs late into the run of one of these pictures. Without um, feeling like it's tacked in there. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, Pinocchio has an interesting song structure because there's uh, only five songs in the movie, and they're all in the first half of the film, and there's no songs in the second half of the film, except for uh, the reprise of... Uh, when you wish upon a star at the end. There's again some early CG stuff on that tunnel. This happens so fast. I remember wondering if people were going to get the impact of it, but that he was thrown to the edge of the world and had to get back. But it, it worked. Barefoot, too. Yeah. Oh, man, I was like, this got to be hurting his hands and <laughs> feet. Poor Abu. He's worried about Abu. He's just. A nice guy. I made a mess of everything. He messed up, but he's going to make it all right. You know, I, I love this whole story. It, it sets up such impossible situations. I mean, there's no way he's going to get there in time, but he's trying anyway. <laughs> That's yeah. why it's so perfect for and the animated the next, medium. Yeah, then, then the next most impossible situation, besides the fact that he's thrown to one, the other end of the world and has to get back. He's in, a, in Antarctica or something. Now you're going to squash him with this big rolling deal. <laughs> Fortunately, he's got a window just in the right place. Just there, it's kind of a Buster Keaton gag, yes. like Sherlock Jr. when the when the or Steamboat Bill Jr. when the house falls over, bang. Yeah, yeah. I love there's a cookie cutter shape of the window there too. Yeah, I survived. Now how am I going to get out of here? There's one of Ed Dalbert's gags there, where the frozen monkey passes out. He can't believe they survived. Ha <laughs> ha 
And there, here's Brian. This is Brian Ferguson stuff. I do know that. Yeah, and paying off that gag with the crackers. And I get to feed crackers down his throat. <laughs> I think that was a post, uh, post-dubbed groan from Gilbert there. This is Nick's stuff here, right, Pussycat? This is, this is my Jafar. Oh, it here. is? I'm sorry. Yeah. Pussycat. What to say, my dear? Why, with you is my queen. And then she throws the wine at him. I'll teach you some respect. I like the way he puts his knee on the, the chair. <laughs> I have decided to make my final wish. A lot of this is uh, Reg Bordage's genie. Including the reprise of uh, William F. Buckley Jr. Ah, <laughs> uh, master, there are a few addendas, uh, some quid pro quo. Some people didn't know who Buckley was, <laughs> and when you told them, they didn't know who he was. Nick Ranieri wanted to do at least one scene of the genie, so I gave him this scene. And this is—is is this, is this at the cash register? Is and this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Great, yeah, that's, I read there was something that Nick did in here, the cash register. <laughs> I love the stuff you do with the hands, Andreas, all the way through. Hands are not easy to draw, and you've got bones in Jafar's fingers. It's Even though they're, they're kind of stylized, you know, they're, they're very weird looking. But I, yeah, I, I, all the way through, I've been impressed this time. Raul Garcia stuff. I love the uh, <laughs> yeah, Jafar <laughs> head joke, and that Raul did it really well. And it huge laughs in the theater to see him do that. And call him senior psychopath. Well, we're not even sure what that was a reference to, but it just sounded right. I never knew whether that was supposed to be like a, he was doing it in Spanish or it was a senior citizen oh, or he what. Had, uh, Robin had all sorts of epithets. We just chose the one that broke us up, that's all. <laughs> it was just funny. He had a million different names for Jafar at that point. Ellen Woodbury did uh, Iago and Abu together fighting here. I remember that. Ellen did uh, the animation on Zazu and uh, Lion King and uh, Pegasus and Hercules. I remember there was quite a discussion about whether she could really kiss him. Should we go that far? Yeah. It felt, it felt right. It was the ultimate sacrifice on her part. Yeah. It wasn't a betrayal. It was, she was doing it for the good side. Zelensky did the Cobra stuff that's coming up. Who was doing Jafar? Jafar is sort of a mix of everybody, because at, at that point in time, we had to get the movie done. And this everybody... was late. This was very you know, late in the movie and late in the production, too. Yeah. But this was also a chance, a chance to get a little bit more physical with Jafar, because in many scenes, he was so withheld. And so this was a time to show him fighting. I had a gag here, but you know, they cut it out. The genie looking at the carpet going, nice threads, dude. But, you know, <laughs> it just wasn't appropriate for the moment. Didn't the genie turn into a cheerleader, too? Oh, yeah, he, he will. He does do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. he will. You cowardly snake. Yeah, this was Kathy Zelinsky's stuff right This is really scary looking, yeah. yeah. Transformation yeah. he makes. That's cool. Scale really well pulled off again, and simply, too. I mean, that was... Look at the design on the fire, too. Again, everything's, everything in the movie supports the overall design. I think some of this Cobra is also Raul Garcia, too. Mm. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you break it up. <laughs> and Joe Hadar's cheerleaders. 
And there was also he was gonna do like uh, a color commentary, like a like uh, from a sports desk too during this fight. I remember we talked about that, but I don't think it actually made it. Yeah, we recorded all of it, um, but uh, again, it didn't feel. It felt like it was just gonna take a left turn too much in the yeah. drama of the moment. Yeah, it was always a balance, you know. Just it was great that. We were pushed to get gags in where we'd never put them before, but then it really did hit come down to what was important for the moment. <laughs> and a lot to Jeffrey Katzenberg's credit that he was constantly pulling us together to make those moments yeah. better. Yeah, for, from, from Little Mermaid on, that whole thing where he had uh, Sebastian do that big Tex Avery take during their kiss, we thought was uh, blasphemy, but the audience wanted a laugh and a sincere moment there. And, it was it was important to to learn that you can sometimes do both not always um joe hadar animated this stuff here where he's saying the kid's crazy and i i coached him by saying take a look at diane keaton in annie hall doing her lottie da moment lottie da shaking your head all right your wish is my command way to go al with the cobra, I had been originally been a little bit afraid to think that the cobra should move very fast, losing a sense of weight, it being so big, you know. But it has to strike like a cobra. Yeah. It had to, and I think it worked out in the I end. I love the, the pacing, the timing of that. I mean, it's frightening. And in, a, in one of those group story meetings we all had, um, they already had the concept that he was going to get sucked into the lamp, but I remember Tom Cito put the cherry on it, and he said, you know, um, phenomenal cosmic power, itty bitty living space, just as the little, the little cherry on top at the end. <laughs> phenomenal cosmic powers. Come on, you're the genie. Itty bitty living space. And Will can go home. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> What an exuberant film this is. Yeah. Shut up, you moron! <laughs> Doesn't even need animation. Gilbert can get laughs. Gilbert Gottfried can get laughs doing anything. I like that scene. That was uh, Jill the Town and Guinness, and, uh, you know, big wind up and then a little tink. <laughs> Now this is uh, story-wise. This is kind of a Gilbert and Sullivan ending, where the king just says, "Oh, that law. Well, we'll just abolish that law. We should have just done that in the first act. We, we just needed it, it work for, for the them. movie. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's true." Here's the genie very moved again. He has a great range. The genie. He is funny and sincere. That's kind of the nice thing about sidekick characters a lot of the time is they actually do have to cover a lot of emotional range. People expect them to be funny, but they have to be sincere, too. Yeah, yeah. I do remember, you know, Robin getting a laugh on that scene because I think probably it sounded like everybody's Jewish mom. You're not going to find another one like her? <laughs> I understand. Jeannie. I wish for your freedom. And this, this whole sequence was the last stuff in production, wasn't it? Yeah, this was pretty late in. Yeah. And uh, these were some of the toughest scenes to animate because you would have to be sincere about it. You know, 
I'm getting chills. This was what we were waiting for, is him to get free. That's great. Tom Cito animated the transformation, and then I animated the realization here. <laughs> so nice. You know, the, the, the stuff that goes on under the surface of the story is really good, you know. Uh, it wouldn't have worked without it. <laughs> yeah. The stuff of, you know, Aladdin having to re re make up for his mistakes and his lack of faith in himself and all that was really important. Originally, I think the story was just like the book. It was sort of about greed, but it really turned into a story about a character learning who he is and growing up, which was, I think, great. I remember in story uh, sessions, we lengthened this sequence further and further. Uh, we felt it was very, very important to make a moment out of the fact that the genie and Aladdin were separating. You know, they'd spend a lot of time together and a lot, you know, yeah. and they, they cared for one another. It's like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> you know, they're going to say goodbye. Well, you're letting the audience say goodbye to those characters at the same time you're, you're letting them say goodbye to each other. Him, I choose. I choose you. That was great. Aladdin. <laughs> and finally, I can choose you because you're you. Real you. You're, you're not, not faking it anymore. Yeah, not yeah. faking it. Okay, for those <laughs> Disney freaks out there, this is a joke on top of a joke. You know, the goofy hat gets a laugh. Um, but in fact, it's also the way Robin Williams was dressed in the live action animation film that was part of the Disney animation tour down at Disney MGM Florida, back to Neverland. Uh, he was dressed in a, you know, loud a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> with a goofy Disney hat on right. and the shorts. So I just figured for anybody who's watching carefully. And again, they were gonna come out of this and go back to the peddler and you can see he was the genie, but the audience was already applauding. They were, they were full and they said, great, thank you. And so there was no point. Except one more surprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mark Hen had a great kiss there at the end. Yeah. That is a phenomenal ending. Made you look. Great. <laughs> Some of the artists like the fact we actually put the background number on that little <laughs> well, yeah, well in the peg holes and all of that, yeah. Great stuff. There's oh. Amy Powell, Richard. <laughs> Yeah, I really appreciate that Amy Pell actually had a uh, let us bring dogs into the studio. That's right. There were pets running rampant in the studio at that Until point. our dog pooped in her office and then it changed. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> and then we had a snake in one office and uh, like a mouse or rat in the other, and it was just getting a little too close <laughs> for yeah. comfort. Uh, Debbie Armstrong was one of the assistants on the movie, and she had a, a dog that was always, was always running out in the hall and barking at me. So there was a feeling about these this series of films that we did there in that time around uh, Aladdin and um, Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. We're all down in those warehouses yeah. in, in, the, in Glendale and there's this esprit de corps. There's a, you know, you're in the surroundings that just aren't so cool looking. The little cubicles and spaces, but we're kind all there because... Kind of a termite terrace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like being in your garage, you know, and it was sort of like, you know, there was a comfort to that. You yeah. know, it wasn't real high tech, it wasn't real slick, but uh, it was it was like the playroom. But good films came out of it. Yeah. yeah. Was Mark Dindle's name on that? Mark's a director. He did, uh, did uh, Emperor's New Groove. He's working on Chicken Little now. He was an effects artist back then. Here's our, our, our phenomenal backup uh, uh, cleanup team. 
They were great. Renee Holt did, did a beautiful amazing, job amazing on jazz. Renee has some of the best yeah. line work ever. It was a bit of a dream at that time because people were actually seeing our films. Yeah. <laughs> and for so long, I remember being so impressed on Great Mouse Detective that there was actually, uh, our character was on a, a Cocoa Puffs box. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, we've made it big time. Got a shout out to the Iago crew, Nancy Kniep and Marianne Tucker. They're great and worked on a lot of different movies together with them. It, it, you know, it, it was. It, not only were the audience seeing them, but I think... You know, when Little Mermaid came along, it was scary because it was the movie we all wanted to work on and, and the crew was really excited about, but it was actually, we're, we were, I remember people looking at each other in the halls, are we up to this yet? You know, we were all so young at that point and it was really trying uh, to, to try and deliver up to that movie. I certainly remember personally feeling like I, I'm not, I'm not worthy, but by the time we'd been through beauty in this one, it was really like... We were all kind of hitting our stride, and, and, and the material was satisfying. It was, it was really a fun time. It was like I couldn't I had to pinch myself. I'm, I'm a cartoonist. I'm doing cartoon movies that people like. Ron and John were fantastic uh, directors to work with. They always challenged you to, to make it better. Sometimes it was frustrating. I mean, <laughs> you'd show something you think was great, and they wouldn't barely chuckle. <laughs> so you'd go back and you try to make it funnier and show it to them. And, hey, that last one was really funny. Why'd you change it? Well, you didn't laugh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. well, of course, uh -huh. uh, uh, John Musker's, uh, uh, the highest praise I ever heard from him uh, was, well, okay, uh, we'll send it uh, out to camera and cut it in and see what it looks like. And I knew I, I'd really scored by that. Because, uh, Actually, actually, I got a lovely piece of praise from John showing him one scene and one I didn't expect. One of my favorite scenes, just as pure character animation, was uh, the scene of Baloo uh, wiggling around and dancing to, um, you know, Bare Necessities. Um, and, you know, I would always look at that scene and, and think, and it's a pile of drawings. It's just a pile of drawings. And I brought in my dance scene, and John really liked it, and the one where he climbs down the tongue and does the uh, Cab Calloway. And, uh, and John goes, and it's a pile of drawings, and I was so moved by it. I can't. You had I can't notes say. On that and it was no, just not at all. It just kind of came out. It just seems hard to believe. It's a stack of paper, and you flip it, and suddenly something comes to life. It's that's the magic. It's alchemy. It's pure alchemy. On that note, we should probably say our goodbyes. It's this, uh, Will Finn saying goodbye, and thank you for watching Aladdin with us. Eric Goldberg, bye folks, thanks for listening. And Glenn Keane, thanks a lot. And this is Andreas Deja, thanks for watching.